The narrative of the air campaign during World War II centers around huge formations of bombers dropping hundreds or thousands of tons of bombs onto the ground below in an effort to pummel the enemy into oblivion. Despite the best efforts of crews involved, dropping bombs from around 15,000 feet meant that a great number of them missed their intended targets, meaning they were fighting and dying, often for nothing. Military commanders got around this by targeting entire cities, but when it came to targeting ships, it was nigh on impossible to achieve success in this manner. However, one brilliant young engineer in Germany looked to take away control of the bomb from fate and give Germany a weapon of great power and unprecedented precision. This is the story of the sinking of the battleship Roma and the birth of precision-guided weapons, known commonly today as smart bombs. Welcome to Wars of the World. On October 31st, 1922, Benito Mussolini came to power in Italy, being appointed Prime Minister by King Emmanuel III following the so-called March on Rome by thousands of supporters of Mussolini's National Fascist Party. Over the coming years, much to the alarm of Europe, who had only just finished off one European dictator, Mussolini used his office to institute laws that cracked down on all opposition to his rule, leaving him the undisputed leader of the country before beginning his expansion outward from his homeland. Mussolini had grand ambitions that centered around the restoration of the Roman Empire. He envisioned a 20th century Rome whose influence stretched out across Europe and Africa. But of course, this put him at odds with the modern empires of Britain and France, both of whom had interests of their own in the Mediterranean Sea that separated the two continents. Undeterred and believing Italy had a divine right to become the dominant power in and around the Mediterranean, less than a year after he came to power, he ordered troops into Libya to quash uprisings by rebel tribes opposed to the Italian presence in the country. Then, later in the same year, an Italian general who was attempting to broker an agreement between Greece and Albania was killed near the disputed border. While the perpetrators remain unidentified, the fact it happened in Greek territory led to Mussolini blaming them and ordering the Italian Navy and Air Force to bombard the Greek island of Corfu before landing 10,000 troops. Less than five years after the end of World War I, Many in Europe felt that with Mussolini in power, they were already on the verge of another major European conflict. Ultimately, negotiations by the League of Nations, the forerunner to the modern United Nations, resulted in a resolution that heavily favored Italy, if only to appease Mussolini and keep a major European war from breaking out. But as this period of history has taught the world, appeasement only ever makes the aggressor 
more aggressive. As Mussolini continued his expansion outward, the British and French navies began to tailor their new warships to meet the Italian threats, which only encouraged Mussolini to build ships to counter those new ships. An arms race was on, with the prize being control of the Mediterranean Sea. In 1932, the French Navy began construction of two fast battleships, which were intended to counter Italy's fleet of heavy cruisers and Germany's new Deutschland-class pocket battleships. Dubbed the Dunkirk and the Strasbourg, these two ships could not only outgun Mussolini's cruisers, but could also match them in speed, an advantage that cruisers had previously held to escape any unfavorable engagement with a battleship. Having learned of the construction of the two French battleships, Mussolini demanded the Italian Navy develop a response, not only in quality, but in quantity. And so, in 1934, Italian shipyards began work on four new battleships, aimed specifically at matching the French. In the end, only three of the four ships would be completed, beginning with the Littorio, which entered service on May 6, 1940, followed by the Vittorio Veneto, just nine days later. The final ship of the trio would be completed to a modified design on June 14, 1942, by which time Italy was fully embroiled in the war against the Allies. These vessels were a very real threat to the Allies, and the Royal Navy engaged both the Littorio and Vittorio Veneto several times in running battles across the Mediterranean, in particular around the British territory of Malta. On November 12, 1940, both ships were in the harbour at Toronto when the Royal Navy's Fleet Air Arm carried out their spectacular surprise attack, using fairy swordfish biplanes, carrying torpedoes and bombs in an attempt to take out the Italian surface fleet in one powerful strike. Vittorio Veneto would prove one of the few ships to escape unscathed, but Littorio was not so lucky, sustaining two hits from 1,760-pound torpedoes. The battleship quickly filled with water and sank several meters down before resting on the bottom of the shallow harbor. Despite the holes in the hull, much of the superstructure and machinery survived, and by March the following year, the vessel had been repaired and was back in action. In the coming months, the weakened Italian Navy fought pitched battles with increasingly superior Allied naval and air forces, and both ships were repeatedly damaged. It was with some relief, therefore, when the third of the battleship class was completed in 1942, with Italian naval commanders eager for the new ship to get stuck in and hopefully make a significant impact on the Allies, which now included large numbers of American warships. The new ship was to be named the Roma, in honor of the Italian capital and the home of the ancient empire Mussolini sought to restore. Taking its place as the new Italian flagship, Roma and its two sisters moved from Taranto to the harbor at Naples on November 12, 1942, in preparation to attack Allied forces landing in North Africa, who were pushing to finally expel the Italians and Germans from the continent. These three battleships represented the pinnacle of Italian sea power and were an awesome sight to behold. However, they were also a highly praised target for Allied submarines. During the transits to their new base, they were spotted by the Royal Navy U-Class submarine, HMS Umbra, 
which launched an unsuccessful torpedo attack. However, reporting the location and direction the battleships were sailing, the Allies now knew they were on the move, and their objective was obvious. While docked at Naples, the harbour came under heavy air attack by American bombers, and the relatively new Roma suffered a hit from an armour-piercing bomb dropped by a B-17 flying fortress. Luckily for the Roma, the bomb failed to detonate upon impact, and instead, its lateral trajectory saw it pass through the side of the ship before exploding in the water. This still caused damage, and combined with another nearby bomb detonation, the Roma took on some 2,350 tons of water. But like Littorio at Taranto, the Roma survived, and repairs were quickly undertaken. Roma was again hit in another air raid a few months later, but its heavy armor protected it from serious damage. It was becoming obvious to all that the three battleships, whether at sea or even stationary in harbor, were proving very difficult to kill. The Spanish Civil War, which was fought between 1936 and 1939, was something of a taster of what was eventually to come with World War II. Both Italy and Germany sent troops in support of their ally Francisco Franco, and this allowed them to not only test their new weapons in combat, but perfect the tactics in using them before a major confrontation with Britain and France could break out. One of the lessons that was reinforced by German combat experience during the conflict was that hitting a ship from a level bomber, such as a Dornier or a Heinkel, was difficult enough when the ship wasn't moving. But when she was, the single deciding factor in support of a direct hit was often old-fashioned luck. Shallow dives, heavier bombs that strayed less from their aim points, and lighter ones and lower altitude attacks all went some way in alleviating the problem but all had their disadvantages. And of course, the threat from the ever-growing number of anti-aircraft guns that were being fitted to ships could never be negated. Meanwhile, back in Nazi Germany, Hitler's aviation industry was in a frenzy to build newer, better, and more advanced aircraft to satisfy its Führer's lust for military dominance over Europe and beyond. As a consequence, manufacturers were always on the lookout for gifted engineers to help them develop the next weapon that could attract the eye of Hitler and award them a lucrative production contract. One such engineer was Dr. Max Kramer. Born in Cologne on September 8th of 1903, by the 1930s, this relatively young engineer was already a noted authority in the field of aerodynamics and aircraft control surfaces. It was while Kramer was working at Germany's Aerospace Center in 1938 that he was tasked with answering a question. Could a bomb dropped from a high-flying aircraft be guided onto a target? It was an intriguing proposition, and one that Kramer quickly set about trying to answer. He knew he had to start with the bomb itself, and then add on steerable aerodynamic control surfaces that would keep the bomb flying at the aim point. Soon, he began drawing sketches of a bomb fitted with small wings and a box tail, inside of which were steerable spoilers that would alter the bomb's trajectory by redirecting the airflow. 
In the end, Kramer settled on three sets of aerodynamic control spoiler systems, two of which controlled the weapon in both the pitch and yaw axes, under the control of the operator in the launch aircraft. The third set controlled the weapon's roll axis and was automatic, being controlled by an onboard gyro that kept the bomb stable during its one and only flight to Earth. The guided weapon received instructions from the operator via a radio control link in the launch aircraft, with the aerial receiver located in the tail. Using this radio link, the operator could instruct the bomb to make adjustments in its trajectory, keeping it locked on target, a method of guidance known in modern military parlance as MCLOS, or Manual Command to Line of Sight. Keeping sight of a rapidly falling bomb and guiding it onto a target was a tall order, even for the most sharp-eyed of airmen, and so a flare was included in the tail, increasing its visibility to allow the pilot to better keep track of its progress. Kramer's system was eventually incorporated into a PC-1400 armor-piercing bomb, which weighed in at 1,400 kilograms and had been used extensively against various types of Allied shipping, including battleships. The new guided weapon was known by several names, but is most often referred to as the Fritz X. The PC-1400, already bearing the name Fritz, and the X being added to distinguish it from its unguided forebear. By early 1943, the weapon was being extensively tested by a number of German aircraft. In the end, it was decided that the Dornier Doe 217 would prove the most suitable launch platform for the new weapon, and members of the KG-100 bomber wing, known in the Luftwaffe as the Vikings, began training with it as soon as weapons became available. The results were spectacular. With proper training, a skilled operator could guide the bombs to within 15 meters of the aiming point at least 50% of the time, while 90% hit within a 30 meter radius. Such results almost guaranteed inflicting heavy damage on any ship being targeted, and all the while the bomber was safe three and a half miles away. Now it was time to test the weapon in combat, and on July 21st, 1943, the Germans carried out the first air raid in history using air-dropped precision-guided munitions. By this time, Allied forces had landed in Sicily and were slowly expelling German and fascist Italian forces, aided in some cases by the local population, who were vehemently opposed to Mussolini's regime. Dubbed Operation Husky, a major objective for British forces under General Bernard Montgomery, was the capture of Augusta Harbour on Sicily's east coast, which they succeeded in doing on July 13th. The Germans thus decided to test their new wonder weapon in combat against the Allied ships now using the harbour, but the results would prove disappointing to such an extent that the Allies were unaware they were being attacked by guided weapons. However, not long after this attack, the Germans deployed a similar weapon called the Henschel HS-293 against the British destroyer HMS Egret, successfully sinking the vessel northwest of Spain. This was guided to its target in a similar manner to the Fritz X, but incorporated a rocket motor to accelerate the bomb ahead of the launching aircraft, making the sinking of the Egret the first time in history a guided anti-ship missile had been used in combat. 
One drawback of this weapon, when compared to the Fritz X, was that the warhead was significantly smaller, weighing in at just 295 kilograms. This meant that while it was effective against small destroyers, light cruisers or merchant ships, it would be less so against heavily armored battleships like the Roma, and therefore development of both weapons continued, German engineers eager to prove their worth. Mussolini had once dreamed of grand battles in which his military would achieve glorious victories and build the new Roman Empire of the 20th century, but the reality had proven anything but. His campaigns against the British and the Greeks had been utter disasters, and in both instances, he had to be rescued by Hitler's Wehrmacht. Italy's military and industrial support base simply wasn't up to the strain of fighting such modern conflicts, and with Hitler no longer interested in fighting them, instead focusing on the Soviet Union, North Africa was lost and became a base from which Allied bombers and warships could threaten the south of Italy, culminating in the invasion of Sicily before eventually moving on to the Italian mainland itself. Despite his years of crackdowns on all opposition, by late July 1943, there were those within the Italian fascist hierarchy itself calling for Mussolini's head. On July 24th, 1943, the fascist High Council, which had not met since the war began, summoned Mussolini to a meeting where he was informed that they had elected to appoint King Emmanuel III as Commander-in-Chief of the Italian Armed Forces. Mussolini was enraged, but more was to come for the next day the king dismissed Mussolini from all his functions and had him arrested. He was then sent to prison in an ambulance. Italian leaders were now in a tricky predicament, particularly when Pietro Badoglio was appointed as the new prime minister of Italy. Badoglio knew that Italy couldn't continue on its current path against the Allies without facing destruction under Allied air raids, and the marching of Allied troops from Sicily north up the Italian peninsula but at the same time, he also had to contend with thousands of German troops in his own country who would turn against them if they switched sides. Therefore, Badoglio had to openly confess his continued support for Hitler and fascism, but at the same time, he entered into secret negotiations with the Allies for armistice. By September 1943, these negotiations included plans for as much of the Italian fleet as possible to sail to Malta and surrender to the Royal Navy stationed there. Aboard the battleship Roma, Admiral Carlo Bagamini was preparing to lead the Italian fleet in an operation to oppose the Allied landings at Salerno, and so when on December 8, 1943, he was quietly informed that an armistice had been agreed, his force was ready to set sail immediately. Bergamini received orders that he was to take his force of three battleships, three cruisers, and eight destroyers, and sail them to Malta to surrender. And so shortly after midnight on the morning of September 9th, he led the fleet out to sea, leaving behind him and Italy in chaos. As expected, the Germans hadn't taken too kindly to their former allies secretly switching sides. And so too were a number of leading Italian fascists furious at this betrayal and fighting quickly broke out between the former allies. Despite his orders to sail to Malta, Bergamini had made the decision to instead sail to the Italian port of La Maddalena in Sardinia, 
where King Emmanuel III had been allowed to set up a free government under the terms of the armistice with the Allies. Sailing through the night, at 0600 hours, they were joined by three more Italian cruisers out of the port of Genoa, and they sailed around the north of Corsica before turning south towards Sardinia. During the early hours, Allied warplanes spotted the Italian fleet headed by the Roma, but did not attack, which Bergamini saw as a good sign. After sailing through the night at around 1200 hours the following day, Bergamini ordered the fleets to turn into La Maddalena, but less than two hours later, the terrible news came that the port had fallen to the Germans and was no longer safe. Bergamini now had no choice but to reverse course and take his fleet out to the Mediterranean and head for Malta. Shortly after 1400 hours, lookouts aboard the Italian ships spotted twin-engined aircraft approaching their position. Unsure whether they were Allied or German, Bergamini gave orders to hold off from firing any weapons until they could be sure, but the planes stayed out of their guns' range. The twin aircraft then began dropping bombs from high altitude and far out to sea, which landed far off in the distance, sending large plumes of water into the air as they detonated, but posing no threat to the Italian ships. Bergamini and his officers found the attack baffling, as the tactics used by the attacking planes had no hope of hitting them, and so he interpreted the act as a German, warning to them if they were considering defecting to the Allies, they would be sunk. In fact, it is more likely that these were Fritz X bombs that for whatever reason had failed to work properly. Then at 1530 hours, the bombers returned, and this time there was no mistaking them. Lookouts identified them as six Dornier Doe 217s flying at 18,000 feet and reported that each was clutching a single large bomb under their wings, tucked in between their engines and fuselages. Like the previous attack, Bergamami was bewildered by the dropping of the bombs far from the Italian ships and from heights that made hitting them all but impossible. However, this time, lookouts reported that the bombs were acting oddly. Instead of dropping straight down into the ocean, they were actually gliding towards them. Straight towards them. The first Fritz X bomb landed Aston of the battleship Littorio, which had only recently been renamed Italia, exploding just a few feet away in the water, damaging the rudder and preventing the ship from being able to steer. As the crew of the Italia fought a desperate battle to regain control of their ship, the rest of the Italian fleet was scrambling to process just what had happened. Some of the lookouts reported that the bomb was apparently fitted with wings and moved as if under control, heading straight for the Italia. While equally curiously, the bomber that launched the weapon flew straight and level until its weapon hit the water, instead of breaking off, as was usually the case once a bomber had dropped its load. Just 15 minutes later, the next German bomb was released from an orbiting Dornier which the Italian guns were incapable of reaching at the range and height it was operating at. The German bombardier picked his target and guided his weapon to it. That target was the Roma. The heavy 3,100-pound armor-piercing guided bomb achieved such energy as it fell that when it struck the battleship on its aft starboard side, it punched right through the armored deck, down through several decks more, before penetrating the hull itself. There, it detonated under the ship's keel, with devastating effect. 
The boiler rooms and engine room flooded with seawater, disabling two onboard propellers, leaving the mighty ship limited to just 12 knots, while electrical shorts started hundreds of small fires throughout the after portion of the ship. Unable to stop and help as more German planes appeared, the rest of the Italian fleet began to overtake the Roma, which was swiftly losing power. Seven minutes later, the Germans launched a second attack on the mortally wounded battleship. At 1,552 hours, Roma was hit by a second bomb, again on the starboard side, this time exploding inside the forwardmost engine room and igniting the magazine for the number one turret, which tore open the hull, causing more heavy flooding. A few moments later, the number two turret's magazines exploded, proceeding to blow the entire turret skyward and destroying the forward superstructure in the process, killing Bergamini, who had been totally unable to counter the German weapons being used against him. On the upper decks, the once handsome ship was a mess of charred and twisted metal, engulfed in smoke and flame, while below, water was quickly filling every space on every deck. By 1612 hours, Roma was in its death throes and began going down, bow first before capsizing and then breaking in two, disappearing beneath the waves by 1615 hours, taking 1,253 of its crew to a watery grave. The Italian fleet sailed on, stunned by the efficiency of the German attack that had annihilated their flagship before being interned at Malta by the Allies for much of the rest of the war. Soon after the attack on the Roma, the Fritz X was again used in combat against the Allies, damaging the American cruisers USS Savannah and the USS Philadelphia, as well as the British cruiser HMS Uganda and the battleship HMS Warspite. The Allies were understandably alarmed by this new German weapon, but found very quickly that it had its shortcomings that could be exploited to negate its effectiveness. The radio signal that commanded the weapon, for example, was found to be prone to jamming, rendering it just another unguided bomb. This means that not only did the Fritz X help forge the first chapter in smart weaponry, but it also had a part to play in the birth of electronic warfare, another key component of modern conflict. However, by far the biggest obstacle in the way of the Germans truly utilizing the weapon to its full potential lay in the fact that the launch aircraft had to fly straight and level until the bomb hit the target, to allow the operator to see the target for the duration of its flight. With each passing day after the sinking of the Roma, the German Luftwaffe was losing more and more of the sky to the Allies, who could send waves of fighters against any German air raid. A bomber flying straight and level was therefore easy pickings for heavily armored Mustangs, Hellcats, and Spitfires. Had the Fritz X emerged two years before, it might have made a much more significant contribution to the German war effort. As it stands, the sinking of the Roma by this early smart bomb merely ignited the flame for today's highly advanced, extremely accurate, and extraordinarily lethal precision-guided bombs. And there you have the tale of the battleship Roma and the birth of the smart bomb. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions. 
and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.